0: and salutations, fair listeners. Thanks so much for listening to Mike's Always Right. I'm your host, Mike Iman. What can you do that other people just can't do? Or to put it another way, what's easy for you and hard for most people? Finding your unfair advantage in a crowded market. How do you stand out when everyone and their uncle has a book they're trying to sell? The more I learn about business the more I see that this is how you find the biggest and best opportunities. Writing books is hard work, and so is publishing and selling them. And part of the reason it's so dang hard is that the internet has democratized the process of writing and publishing a book. Any idiot with a laptop can write a manuscript or pay someone else to write it and then post it on Amazon or iTunes or Nook, or Kobo, or whatever crazy things you darn kids are using these days. Get off my lawn, you kids. If you do everything yourself, the writing, the cover design, the page layout, the cost of entry is zero dollars and zero cents. That means the only cost is your time and your effort. So the good news here is that no matter who you are, if you can write pretty well, and you know your way around a word processor, there is nothing stopping you from becoming a self-published author. The bad news is that because anyone can write and publish a book, you're competing against hundreds or even thousands of poorly written, poorly formatted books. Many of those low-quality books rank really high on Amazon's search rankings. That's either because the book was released at a time when there was zero competition in its category, i.e. the book went to number one and has just kind of stayed there, or the author may be really gung-ho on marketing, I've seen a number of top-selling books in various categories that are backed by paid ads on Amazon, Google, and Facebook. I suspect those books can't be making money if they're selling for $2.99 or $3.99 and have ads on all of those platforms. Advertising ain't cheap. But I digress. Your books have to compete against authors with big advertising budgets. they are also competing against people who have learned how Amazon's search algorithm works, so they can stack the deck in their favor. They find all the right keywords, and they use shady methods to get lots of reviews really quickly, and the book is just good enough that people who buy the book aren't inclined to demand a refund. I believe Amazon is going to get keen to these crappy books eventually, and I've heard recently that Amazon began deleting book reviews acquired through so-called review swapping. Basically, I'll review your book if you review mine. So what, what does all of this mean? It means the scammers, as I like to call them, are getting pushed out of the market. It means the days of a Kindle entrepreneur who hires a ghostwriter to crank out a mediocre book for 500 bucks, those days are numbered. Amazon wants the best books to be at the top of the search results. Whatever your market is, whether you're writing fiction, nonfiction, self-help, diet books, it doesn't matter. You need to figure out what you can do better than anyone else. And go do that thing. Because the marketing tactics currently used by authors to trick people into buying poorly written and poorly formatted books, those tactics are going to fail in the long haul. It's taken me two years to see this. I've self-published three books, and ironically, my best performing book is the one about how to create a scripted podcast, such as the one you're listening to right now. At this point, I'm selling more copies of that book each month than I sold the month before that. My competition in that market includes lots of books that look like they were copy and pasted from the author's blog, or from other articles that are available for free if you just do a quick Google search. I'm a writer, first and foremost, so the quality of writing in my books is better than most of my competition, and I know that. When I released my first book, the one on podcasting, The quality of writing was about all it had going for it. The Kindle version had tons of formatting issues, and as I learned new things, I've been going back and fixing a lot of those problems. Unless you're a whiz at design and typography, so much so that you got everything right on your first try, you should probably make it a point to go back and polish your projects from time to time. A few months ago, I took some time and figured out how to design and publish a paperback. Now, that required a lot of the same kind of revisions, Now that I know how to make a more professional-looking paperback, those books are probably due for a tune-up. I spent a lot of time reading about graphic design and typography. I started practicing what I'd learned using a free account on Canva.com. Canva is a web-based graphic design platform. The free version is pretty versatile, and it's not as powerful as something like Adobe InDesign, but it also doesn't cost hundreds of dollars to use, so I definitely recommend getting a Canva account and messing around with it. If you're a self-published author, even if you're planning to hire professionals to design and typeset your books, you need to keep improving your writing and your understanding of design. If you're ignorant about design in particular, there are certain things that you won't even know are problems if you start hiring freelancers to do the work. Now for a little confession. My books have page numbers on blank pages. I found a few places where the justified text has caused enormous spaces between the words on some of the lines I'm aware of these problems now, and I will absolutely fix them. You need to learn about these kinds of problems so you can spot them, too. No matter what your strengths are as a writer, I believe that quality will win in the long run. That's not to say that you have to get everything right before you can publish your book. It will never be perfect, but you need to make sure version 2.0 is better, and there needs to be a version 2.0. I recently began looking into creating audio versions of two of my books, and I definitely recommend that you do the same. The skill set that's required, or the cost if you're not able to do the work yourself, is much greater than if you need to produce an ebook or a paperback. Yes, there are some really shoddy audiobooks that sound like they were recorded on somebody's iPhone. I've yet to come across any examples of these where these types of books are actually, like, selling and people are buying them and and being satisfied. If you want to create an audiobook that's actually good, you need a few things that you just can't fake. First, you need to have a decent voice. It doesn't have to be as good as James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman, but it needs to be articulate and at least somewhat pleasant. Honestly, I've heard a lot of radio personalities who have lisps or other speech impediments who are actually quite engaging and effective. So if you fit into one of those categories, it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't record audio. The other thing you need that you can't fake is knowledge of audio recording and production. The ACX platform, which hosts audiobooks for Audible, iTunes, and Amazon, they have very strict specifications for the audio files you submit. So you need to be familiar with digital audio formats and that sort of stuff. Now, I'm not saying you should do what I'm doing. I have a background as a musician, and I have a degree in theater and mass communications. What I'm really asking you to do is to take inventory of your skills. Think about what you can do, or what you can get better at, that would put you at an unfair advantage over your competition. What can you do where the cost of entry for someone else is too high for them to be able to compete? I see audio as my golden ticket, my unfair advantage. That's why I'm making a podcast, and I'm correcting my course as I go along. As I'm recording this episode, I've started to work on my vocal technique. My natural speech, I've found, is riddled with clicks and pops that aren't well-suited to professional voice work. But I'm not letting those things stop me from trying. It just gives me something to work toward. You'll also notice that I'm keeping these podcast episodes short, around 10 minutes in length. This is partly because I'm still getting used to this type of recording and performance. Also, I live near railroad tracks, so it's hard to get a clean audio track without picking up lots of background noise. As I get better, more comfortable, and start to solve some of these audio issues, I'm confident that I can produce longer episodes without committing too much more of my time. But maybe you're really good at video— And should start a YouTube channel. Or maybe you're an amazing photographer and would be better suited to Instagram or Pinterest. Maybe you're a really fast writer who can crank out a new book every month. Whatever it is, you have to get started today. Start putting yourself out in the world and hone your craft as you go along. This brings us to the end of episode four of Mike's Always Right. Until next time, thanks for listening. Remember to hit that subscribe button and leave a review in iTunes. You can find me on Instagram at Mike Iman and online at www.mikeiman.com. That's all for right now. And remember, Mike's always right.